Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. The Knicks win 118 to 111 against the Utah Jazz in Utah. Gavin, a a big game for them considering what happened in the last game. Yeah, Alex, it was a big game for them. Jalen Brunson guiding the Knicks home down the stretch. Emmanuel quickly, a two-way force, and Cam Reddish, functional basketball player. He was awesome in this one. We'll talk about all that. We'll talk about the shortened rotation right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate making you making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief and excite the Strickland, which you can find at the Strick.land. He's Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster. Favorite play-by-play broadcaster. My God, it is late and I'm stumbling over my words. Um... (laughs) Anyway, uh, Gavin, the Knicks won this game, and it was pretty impressive, I would say. I mean, I I don't know. I went back and forth because this Utah Jazz team is obviously overachieved so far this year. I feel like they are due for regressing to the mean at some point, um, just because there's no, like, top, top-end talent on the team. I mean, Larry Markkinen has looked pretty awesome, but... Other than that, like, I don't, I don't know quite how to feel about them yet, but no denying, you know, they're, they've been one of the best teams in the NBA uh, it, throughout this early part of the year. So an impressive win for the Knicks to come into their building and beat them. A large part of that was, I think, Jalen Brunson, who uh, maybe is the landlord at the, what is it, Vivint Smart Home Arena or whatever now. <laughs> Uh, I'm impressed you know that because I I don't think I knew that. <laughs> I read it on the court when mm-hmm. they were playing because it's very large on there. But like, I think Brunson maybe has an ownership stake in the building or something at this point. Like he he pretty much owns maybe even just the whole state of Utah at this point. It's it's getting to that point. I mean, he just he annihilated in this game, especially in the fourth quarter. I mean, he was he and Emmanuel quickly were huge parts of what you know, ultimately led to the Knicks winning this game down the stretch along with Cam Reddish, but 12 points and three assists for Brunson down the stretch. I thought it was just, uh, I mean, he's proved to be already, you know, amidst all of the, all the bad things that we've been talking about recently that have happened with the Knicks. He has been, I would say pretty much an overwhelming positive uh, on the court with, just his ability to hit shots whenever the heck he wants to and pretty much generate whatever kind of shot that he wants to. I mean, he just, he treated Mike Conley as if he wasn't even there in this game. Oh yeah. Now Mike, Mike Conley has got to call him dad after this one. Maybe, I mean, especially when you, when you talk about the series uh, last year that, uh, 
Brunson had against him. Um, he finishes the night 34 minutes, not a crazy total, 25 points, eight assists, three steals, three rebounds on 10 to 20 shooting, just one of four from three, four of four from the charity stripe. And, and to your point, it was, I, I thought it was just, I mean, it was typical Brunson in, in his ruthless efficiency. It was, it was a star making performance to me in that it didn't look like he was doing anything out of the ordinary. He's like, all right, I got a mismatch tonight, so I'm going to get my own. And then he just went into his bag and executed it. And, and it never looked challenging. Like, like he was just consistently posting up on Jalen Brunson, like hitting, hitting like the Dirk one-legged, one-legged fadeaway. Um, he was getting out in transition um, and he, he hit the three before the end of the half. And then my, my single favorite play of the night came from him in the, I think it was the third quarter. Maybe it was early in the fourth. He was out in transition with Randall and, and Barrett. And, and, and keep in mind, those, those three-on-ones and three-on-twos have been no sure thing for the Knicks recently. The Knicks botched a couple of them again in this game, one, one because of RJ, one because of Randall. And, and, and JB just kind of took it on himself, like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this look easy. Watch me. Um, he first like kind of stared over at RJ, and it, it pulled Lowry over with his eyes. And then before Clarkson could recover under Randall, he just put a little in that move, and it completely froze Clarkson, zipped a pass to Randall. Randall jammed it on Lowry Markin and. Um, and that 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 was it, it was just next level, like anticipation, manipulation, dictating the action um, with basically one move of his head, one move of his hand. And then had like a little na- in the fourth quarter, a little Nash dribble under the basket, slip pass to RJ. I, I thought that was beautiful. Continued to just toast Conley in the post. He had a play where he had like a start and stop and sent Malik Beasley just flying like like a Beasley's lucky he didn't fall down, hit a little push shot. Um, and, and then at the end of the game, they tried doubling him. He was like, all right, this is easy. Broke the double pass up to RJ lob to cam. That was the ball game. So it was just, it, it, it was a masterclass from Jalen Brunson tonight. Yeah. And equally impressive as Brunson down the stretch of this game, I think was Emmanuel quickly. He ends up with 13 points, shoots three, six from three. And, you know, he sort of found his offense. I think he found his offense better overall in the, in the thunder game. But I think that in this game, he did a better job of finding his three-point shot. And I think that with as much as Brunson sort of brought the team home and finished this win off, I think that Brunson had a huge amount to do with the team. Or, sorry, uh, quickly had a huge amount to do with the team getting back into it early in the fourth. Like, there was uh, so we'll talk about it in a minute, but Tibbs shortened the rotations in this game, and you know, so shortened it by one guy, which then led to more interesting lineup combinations, and that I think benefited the Knicks early on in the fourth. Like, as much as I don't want to give Tibbs credit for much, I still don't think he should be employed by the Knicks anymore. Uh, and one game doesn't really change that. Maybe if he does this for another fifteen to twenty, it'll start to change my mind or something. But uh, I, I thought that that gave the Knicks some interesting looks out there on the floor. One of my favorites was the one that started the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly, or at least got in there very quickly thereafter, which was Brunson at the one, quickly at the two, RJ at the three, uh, Toppin at the four, and Sims at the five. And at a certain point, RJ got replaced by Cam Reddish for a minute. And then eventually... Uh, those two came back in to close the game. But I I thought that lineup was really cool. I, I like Brunson and Quickly together a lot. They seem to also really like each other. Like they have sort of a similar 
similar vibe to them, almost like Rosen quickly did in Quickly's rookie year. Not to say the Rosen quickly don't have good vibes now, but like Brunson and, and quickly just seem to have very quickly become like friends off the court and seem very in tune with one another on the court. And I, I think they did a good job sort of setting the table for one another. It, even if it's not directly via like an assist, I think that they, they do a great job spacing the floor, which opens up the floor for, for both of them. Cause on a night like tonight where quickly was shooting well from three, they're, they're both very credible threats from pretty much ever on the floor. So uh, I thought quickly, if we were doing this like hockey style, Brunson gets the first star. I think quickly pretty solidly is in there as the second star with those eight points in the fourth quarter to be second on the team in scoring or sorry, second on the team scoring in the fourth quarter in this game. Yeah. I mean, I'm in total agreement. I, I thought this was the best two way performance for Emmanuel quickly of the entire season. Um, but before we get into that, um, you know, if they want to, uh, maybe maybe Obi comes along too. If they want to get away for a weekend, uh, hang out, uh, complain about uh, some other guys in the rotation, um, there's only one place they should go to grab a vehicle for that endeavor, and that is Turo. Because Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want wherever you want it from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion on budget across the U.S., U.K., Canada, and coming soon to Australia. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday or holiday. Find affordable economic cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from A to B. Test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on to see how it fits in your everyday life. Many tour hosts can even deliver the car right to you. So every trip is backed by liability insurance, terms and conditions, and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. And today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. And it's maybe been a minute since I got to really talk about Built Bars, but you guys already know the drill. They are the best tasting protein bar on the planet. They are chewy, tasty, covered in 100% real chocolate. You're not going to find a better protein bar experience out there. In fact, they taste just like a candy bar. And let me tell you, they got some sick new flavors coming. I know that we're we're still, uh, oh, geez, we're getting dangerously close to the holiday season. So, you know, you're going to need to get gifts for people, whatever it is that you celebrate. If you have a health enthusiast in your life, maybe built bars are a way to go and give them something that's that's not only uh, great tasting, but also useful in terms of giving tons of valuable protein, typically around 15 to 18 grams of protein per bar. And built has some great new holiday themed flavors right now. You can get white chocolate peppermint built granola bars. You can get candy cane brownie built puffs and also candy cane brownie built bar classics. But then also coconut brownie built, built bars are back and cookie dough built bars are back. Two of the best flavors you could hope for in the case cookie dough, sort of in the spirit of the holidays, you know, like like holiday cookies cookie dough built bar i don't know it kind of works anyway if you want to get some built bars for yourself or some loved ones head to built.com and use promo code locked on 20 to get 20 percent off your order at built.com all right and we're back to locked on nicks and gavin we ended last segment uh where i had mostly gotten in my takes on on quickly but uh i figured i'll throw the floor to you to to give your 
your takes on what you said was one of Quickly's best two-way games of the year, and, and I totally agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I was, I thought this was just an, an awesome effort uh, from him on both sides of the floor. Um, he was really good switching onto bigs, and it was because he never gave them an opportunity to attack him because they never really got to touch the ball. Like he got caught on a switch with Lowry Markin and literally the second he caught it, he poked it out of his hands. He had two different times where he switched on a pick and roll with Walker Kessler and Walker Kessler's like seven, two with alien arms. And it, it never mattered because both times quickly just knocked it away from him or, or I'm sorry, both times he intercepted the pass that was trying to get it to Kessler to jam on Quickly's face and quickly said, you can't duck on me if you never have the ball. Um, so th- I, I thought I thought he was brilliant um, defensively in this one. We always talk about event creation on this Knicks team and how they really, really lack for that. And he basically single-handedly supplies that. And, and, and they're in desperate need for it, which is why I think it's ridiculous he didn't get to close this game. But that is a different story and would be treading too much on topic. We've already covered. And then offensively, man, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, the the three-point shot, like he's, he's aggressively seeking it out. He's taking threes with guys in his face. And, and, and for me, the more the merrier on those. I just want him to be decisive. Even, even if he has a game where he goes 0 for 7, if he's shooting them with confidence, that, that's enough because I'm, I'm just confident in that guy as a shooter. And I, I think eventually they're going to go in. And he brought out some new stuff in this one. Had like a, a step back midi attempt that I, I've rarely seen him take. He missed it, but I, just, I thought it was interesting that he took that shot. Had a Euro into another short jumper which is just dirty and like not, not really like a commonly used move. Like a lot of people go Euro into floater. He, he did it into a straight up jumper off one foot, which was nice. Um, and then um, on one of those steals on Walker Kessler, he turned into a layup on the other end and he beat Walker Kessler again, one of the better shot blockers in the league with an early release and then had the back-to-back threes. The second one drawing a, a bang from Mike Breen. I believe that was uh, like early fourth quarter. Uh, so he was, it, it was just a great two-way performance from him and, uh, I, I wish he was uh, he was playing 30 minutes a game, especially if Quentin Grimes is not going to be in the rotation. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, more time for quickly is is good time for the Knicks. Like, I just think, I again, you know, we've harped on this before, and and I want to try to keep it on the positives because there are so many in this game. But like, quickly in theory does pretty much everything Tibbs should love in a guard, including playing really good defense right now. Like, I think he's probably. Again, yeah, like if Grimes isn't healthy or whatever the case may be with him, he's quickly he's probably their best perimeter defender right now. Let me think. let me throw this out there. There are metrics yeah. that have him as a top five defender in the NBA, period, right now. I don't know if I'm quite there yet. But I, I, I'm I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's yeah. indic- like the Knicks, the Knicks are sixteen the Knicks the Knicks defensive rating coming in tonight was sixteen points better per hundred possessions when he's on the floor. So yeah. he's, uh, no argument. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's just because of the energy that he brings. Like, he just kind of gets everybody going the right way. Like, it's not even just like it's all him, but it just seems like when he's on the floor, the team is trying harder on defense, period. And a guy that I actually really love when he gets time with is Cam Reddish, who has been sort of in lieu of having a Grimes available. I think that Cam has done a really good job of being that like defensive spark plug with the offense and, or sorry, with the, with the starters, I should say not the offense, but on the offensive end, things are now starting to come together for him in a way that I think that he's really starting to like figure out a complete game for himself, which is amazing. Like this is for him now, two games in a row too, of just putting up 
really, really great, like starter level stats. Oh, yeah. uh, 19 points in this game, seven of 13 shooting overall, two of five from three. Got to the free throw line three times, made all three of those. Uh, the rest of it's just kind of whatever. A bunch of ones, <laughs> one board, one assist, one steal, one block. But uh, way more than two great defensive plays in this game. You know, he he had one that got taken away where he was going to uh, have had an easy breakaway dunk uh, because Jalen Brunson was so good at drawing an offensive foul uh, that, you know, Cam wasn't able to get a second steal that would have been an easy two points for the Knicks. He had plenty of other times where he was just very disruptive. You know, he he's just gotten so good now at using his length to disrupt whoever it is that he's guarding, whether he's, you know, kind of bottling up a, a guard or just kind of keeping himself wide enough to stay in front of, you know, an opposing wing or whatever so that they can't get around him. I just I think that he does such a great job with his body right now. And then especially it's I think it's always been his calling card. Like he plays the passing lanes, I think, extraordinarily well. And is always looking to get a hand in somewhere and, you know, disrupt something and, you know, get a fast break going or, you know, whatever in that case. And in this game, he did a bunch of that. And then obviously also a bunch of shot making made like the the coolest, like funky shot of the game where it was the shot clock was winding down and he had, I think it was marketing on him on the sideline and like. He just kind of was like, oh, uh, uh, I guess I'm going to like, like sidestep towards the left sort of. And like he like shot the ball from like a pirouette practically like his feet were all over the place. Like his body was leaning to the left and like all this other stuff. And it just splashed. I was like, all right, man, if you're feeling it, you're feeling it like you've got the three point shot going right now and I'm here for it. Uh, But in addition, you know, a bunch of acrobatic finishes again. um, and, And he's just. Again, it's I think he's really starting to put it all together in front of our eyes. And that's cool. I feel of all the things that have that there have been to not feel super great about so far this next season, I feel really good about the fact that like we were rightfully ready to write Cam off like after the preseason. And he's really established himself now to where where now I'm like, okay, well, how much money are the Knicks gonna pay him this offseason? <laughs> because I think I want to bring him back. Like he he is really good and he has great chemistry with RJ Barrett. And I think he's turning into a real NBA player. Oh yeah. I mean, there, there, there were people on Twitter during this game saying, is Cam Reddish the next best player? Is Cam Reddish the next most talented player? Um, Similar to you with the quickly stuff. I'm not going quite that far yet, but he's, he's been really good. And what, what, what have we always talked about with Cam, right? You know, like he, he has all the talent in the world and he has, he's this grab bag of skills where he, where he could be three or four different types of players, depending on what he leans into on a given night. And, and we've said for him, it's, it's all about like, choosing um, certain directions and then perfecting those directions that fit in best with what Tibbs want and, and fit in best with who he's on the floor. And he is found, I mean, I think this is on it. This is what maturity looks like as an NBA player. He's found ways to blend in with whatever lineup he is on the floor where his skills are really shining and, and they're doing so in a way that not only doesn't take away from everyone else on the court, but actually amplifies what everyone else on the court wants to do. Look, like when he's when he's shooting well and he's draining threes, the guy the guy looks like an all-star. He lo- he looks like like what you what you think of it like the apex wings in these leagues. Like big rangy defenders who can bomb threes in your face and if you come too far up on them, they're going to blow by you and they're either going to like 
dunk on you or they're going to finish with, to your point, with acrobatics, whether it's, it's a double pump into the body like he had with Walker Kessler or, or when he blew by Jared Vanderbilt um, in the left corner and, and hit an up and under where the Vanderbilt was like kind of like sitting on the ground, like grasping for air. Um, and, or, or, the, or they're going to hit crazy, like high degree of difficulty shots where you like on, on the play you were referencing, that was a possession where the Jazz did everything perfect and it didn't matter because this six eight guy just rose up over a seven foot or hit a double pump three um and then defensively to your point he was i mean there were like a couple of of small mistakes like he had one play where he went under a marketing screen and then rj didn't switch and then clarkson hit a three i, I don't know who was on um but who, i mean i don't know whose fault that was but he also had like this great interception on jordan clarkson where clarkson was driving to the lane and clarkson was like i'm just gonna throw a lob and cam got up too quickly and his arms were just too long and he picked it off and it kicked off a fast break that led to RJ Barrett free throws on the other end. And then like the creation from him, like, like he attacked, got right under the rim, slipped a little past to Isaiah Hartenstein for a floater. Those two have really good chemistry now. Um, and, and then my, my final favorite play from him, um, Jalen Brunson driving with three minutes and nine seconds left. The jazz were, were closing the gap. They got it to, uh, I mean, at this point it was, it was nine points. Um, but Brunson like needed a bailout and cam was the one guy who was aware enough and, and cam in the past would have been the one guy in the situation who was never aware um, to cut off it and, and hit a little banker. So I, I, I thought that was uh, just fantastic, but you know what, Alex, if you want to throw some money down on, uh, on, on the Knicks, just because you're really confident in cam Reddish becoming a superstar, there's only one place to go do that. It's betonline.net. They're your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at betonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at betonline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline is where the game starts. All right, third and final segment. So we, we've we've covered a lot of the good. So Alex, this this is the Knicks podcast, and things have generally been going bad lately. Uh, what was what was there anything you didn't like tonight? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna reject. Uh, yeah, yeah, do it. Just swap swap me like Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, like like if you're trying to set a screen there for negativity, I'm gonna reject that screen and go the <laughs> other way. And I'm gonna go with the guy who sets really good screens. <laughs> It does lots of good stuff. Before we get into anything negative here, I just got to say, like, Jericho Sims had, I think, for my money, probably his best game of the season so far. Uh, still ran into the foul trouble, which is going to continue being a thing for him, I think. But, like, 11 points, 13 boards, 5 of 7 shooting. He didn't block a shot, but I think did a, a good job of like rim deterrence in this game better than he's been doing so far this year. And I mean, his athleticism just continues to absolutely blow me away. And his, his passing has gotten better too. He had two assists in this game. So like two things, one, the athleticism, like forget it. Like it, he dunked over Walker Kessler. Jericho Sims is like six foot nine, six foot 10. Walker Kessler is like seven foot two. Although, I'm gonna need the official measurement on that because he doesn't look quite like most of the seven foot two dudes that I've seen. Like he just doesn't seem like that much of a behemoth to me when I'm looking at him on the floor. That said, so wait, uh, real real quick, I, I guess I was exaggerating. He's listed at seven feet. Okay, seven foot. All right, fine, whatever. Six foot nine guy on seven footer with a pretty nice wingspan though. 
with Walker Kessler. Like he just jumped like almost clean over him. It was wild. Like, <laughs> like Sims just got up so high to where I was like, when the, the lob pass got thrown, I was like, oh, that's stupid. And then I was like, oh, what's more stupid is that I figured the Sims would not be able to find some way to get that. Cause it was just like, looked like it was the, the lob pass was like over the, over the square on the backboard at least. And Sims just easily was just like, yep. Okay. And just like dunked right over uh, Kessler there, which was very satisfying because we unfortunately did not get Breen and Clyde for this game. So it was Breen and Zerbiak. We had to hear Zerbiak victory lapping the entire game about how he thinks that Walker Kessler is like the second coming uh, the entire game. Just being like, oh, that was my man crush in the draft. And Dude, oh, that was, it was a little weird. It was a little, it was weird. A <laughs> little bizarre. I think he was trying to say like his draft crush, but like you don't say like your man crush, like you're like 50 and he's like 22. Yeah, you know, they, they might they might they might end up running a Turo together and just just going off into the countryside having having a weekend much much to Rebecca Harlow's chagrin. Yeah, they, they'll have a great time together. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, so it, like I love that play, but then the passing I think is what's really striking me with Sims at this point. He maybe overpasses a little bit sometimes. Like I think he's looking so much for the pass out of an offensive rebound now that maybe once or twice in this game, I, I thought to myself, like, eh, like if you just rise up with a little bit of force here, I bet you draw a foul and maybe even still be able to finish that. But, you know, for a guy who's not a great free throw shooter, maybe it does make more sense just be like, rather than trying to draw the foul, I'd rather just kick it out to someone else and let the other guys handle it. But he made some really great passes out of offensive rebounds in this game, I thought. Like, did a good job even of sort of waiting that split second to let the defense kind of collapse in on him like they do whenever someone gets an offensive rebound because they just kind of forget that anything exists except for that guy that just got the rebound and sort of waited that split second and then managed to get a nice kick out. Um, I think one of them was to quickly, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yep. And that know. was one of one of quickly's makes. And and it was really good. It was like one of the things to help quickly kind of get going. So uh, I continue to be impressed by Jericho Sims. I am glad that he's starting to recapture and build upon some of what he had last season, because I think his first couple of games this year were pretty rough by the standards that he set last year. Yeah, I, I was I, I loved him in this game. I, I, I thought he was great for the most part. I mean, that year, to your point, that lob was crazy. Um, and then and early on, I was like a little uh, I, I think you, you kind of noticed as a little frustrated because, it was, again, it was what we constantly saw from last year in summer league where, where it's this guy. And may, maybe part of it is to your point that he's not super, super tall by NBA center standards, but but incredibly built, can can jump to the moon, um, has pretty long arms, and it doesn't really translate into great contests sometimes, and I almost feel like he's afraid of contact, and I wrote that note. And then two plays in a row, almost three minutes later, he forced a turnover on a flying contest, and then I surprised he didn't get credited with the block, but he denied uh, Bontecchio, uh, who I didn't know existed before tonight, um, but that, that, that's a real person in the NBA. Um, he denied Bontecchio at the summit. Um, and then on offense, I mean, because I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. There's so many times where, he, where he'll have a, I mean, I, I saw this in earlier games that he played where he had a wide open layup and he, and he tried to kick it out to someone. I'm like, dude, just go up. And, and this time he got a rebound, power dribble, jammed it. Like, like that, that is, that is all I ever wanted from Jericho Sims. Um, also late in the fourth quarter, um, the other assist, I think he was credited for where he batted a rebound to himself off the glass, battling with Kessler, kick out to Obi for a left corner three. And that was, that, that was, it, it was, it was so satisfying. 
because earlier in or, or what led to that rebound was RJ just driving blindly against the double team and looking off a wide open Obi Toppin, even though he shoots 95% from three now. And it was like, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to correct this wrong. And he did. So uh, only only negative on the night outside of the aforementioned um, like lack of physicality at the rim at points um, was he gave up uh, not back to back, but both within two minute lobs to Walker Kessler, who just sort of fell asleep. So uh, need need to have good awareness against the big centers who can jump high. But overall, um, to your point, uh, great night from him. Um, I wanted I want to talk about the Julius Randle uh, Obi Toppin dynamic uh, real quick. Um, we, we 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 can bounce back and forth on that because I thought this was another night where Julius like was was fine. Um, there were there was some there were some issues where um, he he had one play where he threw a terrible pass and then didn't run back on defense. And that's, I mean, I don't need to get into it again because we just spent the whole podcast talking about it, but I, I can't emphasize enough, no matter how many dinners he wants to host, um, how demoralizing that is to your entire team. When, when your star player turns it over himself and then doesn't run back on defense and then the other team gets either a layup or a three pointer on it. But then he had, he had other plays where he really, really hustled, like, like had one where he just like sprinted back hard to get a big time block on Lowry Markinen. Um, with 153 left, like he he had his play of the game where he, he hustled in traffic to get a big rebound and then immediately held his head up instead of bringing it up slowly. Threw an outlet pass to Cam Reddish to draw a foul. That was with 153 left. Cam hit both free throws to put the Knicks up by eight. And that was basically the last big threat that the Knicks had against them all night. Um, but Alex, I'll leave this to you. My, my issue with this still was that Randall played uh, 31 minutes in this game. Uh, our guy Obi Toppin played 18. They had a minute and a half together at the end of the first half. Um, and that sucks because Obi Toppin, uh, despite Randall being solid, was clearly the better player. Yeah. And I think the big issue with that, too, is that Obi gets pulled like it seems like always right when he's starting to get going. Mm. Like he had like six points over the end of the third and beginning of the fourth quarter. He played like I just looked, you play like eight minutes, like a little eight minute stint there. And, you know, had six points over that stretch and overall was shooting amazing. Like for the whole game shoots three or four for three. And that's, but, you know, also had some great passing moments, like had a really nice oop to, to Sims at one point, like was just uh, like had four assists in total. just seemed like he was really moving the ball well. And, you know, it's not like we say all the time, it's not always a great indicator of overall impact, but sometimes when it's so disparate, you can't help but look at just plus minus of when a guy was, you know, on the court versus off the court in an individual game. And Randall for this game was a minus 12, which was the lowest on the team. Obi was a plus 23, which was the highest on the team. And, you know, like, I'm not going to read too much into, say, for example, like Cam Reddish was a minus seven, but, you know, uh, uh, Sims was a minus three, you know, Derek Rose was a minus two, but like Brunson was a plus nine, like that sort of stuff. Okay. That just kind of happens throughout the flow of the game. But when you have that huge of a discrepancy there, where it's literally like a 35 point swing of plus minus between two players, it starts to make you think a little bit. Um, and, you know, yeah, to your point, like a lot of it comes down to defensive effort too. Like I think that Obi plays good team defense at this point. You know, he has some good individual offensive moments, but even if he doesn't put up like defensive stats, he's generally at least trying to stay in front of his man all the time, which is more than you can say for Randall and also takes care of the ball better. Like, 
you know, Randall had four turnovers in this game to co-lead the team with Brunson, except for Brunson also had eight assists, which makes that more palatable. But, oh, we didn't turn the ball over once. Uh, and it's not like he was in foul trouble or anything. Like, there's a bunch of players that were in foul trouble in this game, but Obi was not one of them. Uh, I, yeah, it it kind of boggles the mind a little bit. And, you know, I sat and did uh, did the math, too, based off of, how many minutes Obi played, how many minutes Randall played, like how many minutes did they play together? And it was only like a minute 20 in this game. And so we can already sort of see it happening where, I mean, part of it is that Sims had a good game, I think, which is exactly what Tibbs wants in Mitch's stead. But, you know, between Sims and Hartenstein now, if Tibbs feels like he can go to them for 48 minutes a game, I wouldn't be surprised if the Randall and Toppin pairing is done by next game, which would be disappointing because we literally highlighted that like when Tibbs tried it for the first time and it worked so well, uh, like a week of change ago, we highlighted it as like, okay, this is the path to making sure that we don't have to have this like Obi versus Randall discourse because they also play quite well together. And then now that another center has stepped up in Sims and doesn't look like he's a rookie anymore uh, or like the early stages of a rookie anymore and, and is picking back up where he left off last year. Now all of a sudden Tibbs is like, Oh, we don't need that lineup anymore. And it's disappointing. So it, I guess we're just going to be back in this situation again, where we have to sort of one-to-one compare Julius and Obi's minutes, even if they both bring some good things. Like I thought that Randall brought some valuable shot making earlier in this game. Um, you know, I, I didn't think he necessarily had like his worst game ever. It wasn't his best, but Obi, meanwhile, I thought had a really great game and, but only got a few minutes to really show it. So that's never not going to be disappointing, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think, I think part of the frustration is that Obi makes up for Randall's weaknesses in a way that offensively, at least are extremely complimentary. I mean, we always talk about the shooting, but to me, the biggest thing that Obi brings at the offensive uh, starting lineup lacks, and this, this was a point that was also made on the low post uh, with Fred Katz today. So shout out to those guys. Um, but it, it, it's his ability to just like not only bring speed in like the full court, but in the half court. And, and it's it's mostly just about how quick of a decision maker he is. I mean, that lobby reference to Sims, like it was a pump by his guy, baited Sims defender, threw it up, and and I just I cannot like Randall. The first few games of the season was making plays like that, and out outside of those first few games, he essentially hasn't done that. Um, his whole next career and, and Obi just does that game in a game out. So those two together would make a lot of sense just because it would, it would cancel that out a bit. And Obi in general is just, is, is very good for this team and exactly what they need. And it, it, it sucks because I think at some point this is going to end with him on a different team. I, I I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm very pessimistic at this point. I, I don't know if I see this ending any other way. Um, but, uh, on a happier note and also sadder note, uh, the Knicks shorten their rotation tonight. So no Evan Fournier. Um, which was was great, and I I don't know about you, I c- I could feel the lack of Fournier because I didn't get like an icky feeling in my stomach um, for 27 minutes or so of this game. I mean, I kind of did when when Julius did some bad stuff, but it was it was it was less exacerbated, I guess is is the best way I can frame that. Um, and then the other other bit of news uh, on, on the flip side of that that isn't so good is, is, is Quentin Grimes doesn't play a single minute in this game, and and we can um, come out of it and ask the questions like, all right, is he actually healthy? Like, is it a conditioning issue? And weirdly enough, for for as much uh, hate as we piled on Tibbs, this is an area where I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because 
I, I kind of believe that Quentin Grimes might be his favorite player on the team. I think he loves Quentin Grimes and I think he wants Quentin Grimes to succeed at all costs. So I am, I would be surprised if there wasn't some underlying injury stuff still um, beyond just the conditioning. Because I think at this point, if he's been healthy for two weeks with the kind of worker he is, I, I don't think him playing 15 to 20 minutes. I, I just can't imagine that he's, he's not in that kind of shape. So I, I assume there are continued setbacks with the foot, which are really bad. The only other thing I can think of is that Tibbs is, is just so in fight or flight mode. Like he's kind of bunkering down like, all right, I got to I got to go with what I know. Like I can't risk like Quentin coming in, being out of rhythm, us losing two games and me getting fired. It could be that as well. But I, I, I don't know. That situation is, is so confusing. And for all the all the Knicks weirdness we've had over the years, this, this is up there for one of the most mystifying ones and, and also one of the most upsetting ones. If it is some kind of long term issue with his foot. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is. I'm inclined to think that he's just not healthy yet. You know, they keep talking about he's like day to day almost every day with like, oh, how does the foot feel? And I'm like, yeah, but he's he's been day to day since the preseason, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just feels like one of those situations where unfortunately it's it's gonna end up like this. Reminds me a lot of like Rose's situation last year, where I wonder if they just haven't exhausted all of their options yet as far as like testing it or like running scans or whatever and. They've just kind of been like, well, if it feels how it feels, it's probably just like a strain or whatever. And then, you know, he just keeps like testing it every day and whatever. And then eventually it's going to come back and be like, oh, he needs surgery of some sort. Like, I, I don't want to speculate because I'm not his doctor, but it's just that was how Rose's injury went last year, where it was just like every single game he was questionable. And if you played, sometimes you play like five minutes, he would give you like one or two games, like 15 minutes, and then would be out for a week. And then you'd be like, what happened to Derek Rose? And then. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, he's got a bone spur in his ankle. It's like, you're just seeing this now? Like, what? <laughs> Was it? I guess you just prescribed pain management prior to that and didn't feel the need to run like a scan or anything, but whatever. Uh, I hope whatever it is that Grimes gets over it soon because even in his rusty state playing like seven, eight minutes, you could see glimpses of what he brings to the team, you know, over the last week. So, you know, hopefully once he, he feels fully up to it, he'll get a spot back. As far as Fournier being out of the rotation this game, good. I mean, I want him to figure it out, but he's I don't want him to keep getting chances to figure it out on the basketball court. Like at this moment, you know, not not like the game court, you know what I mean? Like he can figure his stuff out in practice. You know, if they want to work with him to figure out something to get him going, they can, but they haven't shown much interest in doing that so far. And so he he's just gonna end up back out there again, dribbling the air out of the ball not really looking to get his teammates involved as much as he probably should. And then unfortunately the part that probably makes it all crumble is that he's not making shots and that's what he needs to do to be successful. So he can take some time off for a little bit. Maybe he'll come back revitalized, but if he doesn't, I, whatever. I mean, I, you know, he, it's not even like his contract is a huge albatross or something either. It really doesn't make me lose sleep overnight. I'm thinking like, Oh no, like if the Knicks just bench him for the rest of his contract, they have to give him so much money because really it's like this season and next season, that's it. It's like, all right, fine. Yeah, I don't care. That's that's like nothing, you know, for a contract of that size. So uh I'm not too worried about it, but we'll see what happens with him. Uh hopefully I think best case scenario at this point, they can work out some sort of a trade to some shooting desperate team after after uh, December fifteenth. That just says, you know what? We know what Evan Fournier is at this point. Here's salary filler and uh, like a second round pick or two. 
or maybe even like a few second round picks if you take if the Knicks take back like other long term ish money of a guy who's not going to play something like that. But he yeah, he, would, he would look great in purple and gold. He would, I'm yeah. Just throw that out there. They would; those, See, those are his colors. They would really bring out his eyes. Seems like the perfect team to to make a stab at him too. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, Gavin, unless you have anything else to add, I think uh, I think I'm ready to wrap up today. It was an interesting game because I I fully expected them to lose this game and then they won. And there are definitely some positives to take away. Definitely some things that still feel the same. Unfortunately, with the the Obi and Randall stuff. And I wasn't in, I thought they did a better job, but I still wasn't in love with their three point defense in this game, which doesn't need a whole segment or anything, but yeah, just an interesting game to start this road trip. Yeah. All, all I'll say is I'm, I actually, I, I was in, I was in Philly uh, this weekend and I, I, I saw the MB game against them and, my takeaway was, I mean, obviously what, what MB did was was uh, one of the greatest sports performances I've, I've ever seen in person, certainly. But uh, the Jazz are a really, really good team because they, they still almost won that game, even though MB had like literally a unique stat line in NBA history. So this is this is a great win. Like, I, I don't I don't I don't think like it's real that they were leading the West. I think it's real that they're going to end up being a playoff team and, and, and not a playing team like a, a top six seed in the West. So th- this is. A, a great win, um, and it, it it reinforces what we already know, that the Knicks might not have any superstars, but they have a bunch of really good players, and on, on nights when a bunch of them play well, uh, they, they can beat uh, a good chunk of the league. So I don't know if you want to call that a positive or a negative, but it, it, it certainly is what it is. Um, so that is it for this edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. Uh, for Alex Wolf, I'm Gavin Shaw. Uh, stay tuned for plenty more this week. Again, we will we will have you you covered with with a little college basketball primer. You know, we just we just want to change it up a little bit. We 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 were talking about the same thing so much, um, and and plenty more game coverage as the Knicks take on in a Kola Jokic Denverless, uh, Denverless Jokicless uh, Denver Nuggets tomorrow. It's getting late, uh, so we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace out. I'm locked on.